praise the Lord. <coughs> it is it is absolutely wonderful to serve Jesus. You know, it's just so awesome to serve the Lord. And I trust that all of y'all had a great Christmas, you know, that you didn't forget uh, what this was all about this year. It was all about Jesus, and, and we re- we're serving the King. So, But anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things the Lord requires from us. Uh, tonight we're going to start off in the book of Hebrews, and then we're going to go to First John. So let's start. Okay. Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to thank you for Tuesday night Bible study. We want to thank you, Lord, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods. We want to thank you that you have given us, your children, your word, that we can get it in all these different translations and read it and study it and and then have the Holy Spirit reveal it to us. And I want to thank you and praise you, Father, for the beautiful word of the living God. I ask you to reveal it to us tonight as we read and study. I ask you to do great and mighty things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, Uh, let's start off in Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll read uh, a couple of two or three verses here to talk a little bit about the Word and what the Word says. And, you know, most of us, I think, are kind of like I was most of my life. I just went to church and every Sunday and read the Bible, and I didn't really think it meant exactly what it said, you know. And any time I read something that I didn't quite understand or that required something from me, I thought, you know, God couldn't possibly mean that, you know. Uh, so, naturally, I didn't see God do any miracles. Didn't see Him do any healings. Uh, I, was, I was able to walk in sickness and disease quite well. <laughs> it worked real well for me. <laughs> I was doing exactly what the enemy wanted me to do. I wasn't walking in faith, and he was laughing at me all the time, I am sure. If he can laugh, I'm sure he would just snigger over there when he'd see Thurman go by. He said, oh, there goes another one of them that I fooled. And I've got him right where I want him. And he, I think he's got most of the church right there today. But I begin to read this book in detail. And then when I come up on scriptures like Hebrews 4.12 through 16, you know, uh, Hebrews 4.16 we use quite often. You know, it's a very, very powerful scripture. But Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful. Wow. And you take that to heart. It is quick and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. I mean, this book, it, it will absolutely pierce even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit under the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Isn't that something? I mean, you can't get any sharper than that, can you? What this can do. It gets in there. It says, neither, in verse 13, says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, if you're in pitch black and in the darkest cave there is, and if you're in there, can you do something and God not see you? Now, he can see in that dark, can't he? I mean, he can see in the dark. Can you think a thought that God doesn't know what you're thinking? 
No. I mean, he knows the intents of our heart, even really before we think it. If it's meditated on a better heart, he already knows what you're going to think. He knows what you're going to do. He's so far ahead of you and me, it's, it's beyond our ability to comprehend. You know, last night as Cheryl and I uh, had been, of course, yesterday we had a great day. You know, we had a the whole weekend was great and it was all kinds of family and relatives and everything else and, and all the Christmas gifts and all the stuff and all the praying and everything else and, and all the eating and everything. We we got plenty to eat, I will have to say. <clears throat> so we come home last night and we're talking about things and, and I'm studying the Word and and she's doing things with the ministry and everything. And finally, in the wee hours this morning, we finally get ready to go to bed. And I think it was about three, you know. So uh, we finally—I think it was four. Okay. So anyway, but as as I lay down my head on the bed, I am worshiping and praising God for all the things we have. I thank Him for all the good fellowship we had. I thank Him for the good health He's provided. You know, I thank Him for everything. I was just worshiping Him and praising Him for all the things that we in America have been blessed with. I mean, you know, we are so blessed, aren't we? We are so blessed. And I think about the people that got so many packages and did so many things and all those things. And many of those people probably never said, thank you, God, not one time. I wonder how many people sat down to those scrumptious kneels and dug in and never said, thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus, for this food on this table. That's all they provided you. So why should we thank God for it? I worked hard to pay for this. You know, it's not God. Isn't that amazing? But I'm going to tell you, there's a whole lot more of them did that in the last few days than there was that, that sat down that worshipped Him, that thanked Him. And that's all we got the problem we got. But He knows everything, so you can't, can't uh, uh, deceive Him. He says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, now this is beautiful, that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession or our confession. In other words, this beautiful king that came to this earth, that laid down his deity and came down here and lived as a man, it says here, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet he was without sin. Now you think about that. There's not a single one of us. And as I was thinking about these scriptures, I've been reading those and studying those when I went and lay down in bed last night. So I was worshiping him and thanking him, Lord. And one of the things I was saying out loud, I mean, I said, Lord, thank you for being that great and awesome high priest that was that came to this earth, that was tempted every way I have been tempted. And as my wife has been tempted, Cheryl, as she's been tempted, and Lord, how we missed it so many times, and how we sinned so grossly so many times. But you never sinned not one time. But you understand all that. So, Lord, we lay all those sins at your feet, and we praise you and thank you and worship you tonight that over the years as we've laid those sins at your feet you've taken those and cleansed us and put them as far as the east is from the west and tonight we can set before you as two clean holy children of yours pure washed in the blood because of what you did for us well if you can't get excited about that you know you don't understand it do you 
Yeah, but he tells us we can do that. So he said, then after you realize all these things, then here's another one of my favorite verses in verse 16. So let us therefore come boldly. Wow. Boldly. Unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in times of need. I mean, so, and I don't know how long it took me to get to the point where I could do that. I could think, surely I couldn't walk in and jump up in Daddy's lap and say, God, here I am. He'd swap me out of his lap and say, you little dummy, get out of my lap. Who do you think you are? You know, that's the way I used to see it. And you'd think, that's the way God would do me. I've been such an awful person. You know, I mean, but no, because of the blood of Jesus. I can come boldly up in there and by the blood of Jesus, I can run, jump up in his lap. And when he looks down and says, oh, who's here? Oh, he said, it's my son. Because he sees me through the blood of his son. And he says, come on up here, son. Sit here in my lap, our daughter, whatever you are. Sit here and tell me what you need. And you jump up there in his lap and you start loving on him and tell him what you need. And as you walking holy, you know, in obedience to his word, you know, you're not out there sinning because if you are, he won't hear your prayer. If you've got sin in your life that you haven't confessed, he won't hear your prayer. You can do all the talking you want to, but it don't get through. But when you've got every sin repented of, then whenever you jump up in his lap and start talking to him. And of course, when I learned how to go to the throne of grace, I mean, to some of the first teachings I made, uh, one of them was called How to Get a Lost Person Saved. And of course, that's one of the ones I, I did that one again the second day, in fact, when I was at Big Sandy, you know, this precious young lady over here, this is her first time here. She said, uh, Steve LeBeau, which is a neighbor that lives in the community she lives in, he left one of my CDs, God's Power, in her mailbox. And she listened to it, and that's why she's here tonight. Yeah, <laughs> But the second morning, Bill Gothard at that seminar, there was 3,000 people there that day that I spoke at that seminar. And Bill had asked me to teach on these particular things I spoke on, on that CD we called God's Power. But he asked me to teach on something else the second morning. Well, the first day after I spoke those teachings, I caught so much flack from what I taught at that seminar from PhDs and pastors of big churches. They crucified me at the men's breakfast the next morning. So, you know, I'm standing up here waiting to go on the air again, you know, at five minutes till nine. And Bill comes in and says, Thurman, you've got to come back here in a little room. I've got to talk to you. I said, okay. So I went back and he said, man, we caught so much slack this morning over what you taught yesterday. He said, you're going to have to be extremely careful how you present what I'm teaching, what you're going to be teaching today. And I said, Bill, you don't even have to be concerned about what I'm going to teach today. He said, what do you mean? I said, I'm not going to teach them what you asked me to teach them. He says, you're not? He said, what are you going to teach them? I said, well, this morning at 4 o'clock, the king woke me up. And he told me exactly what to teach on today. He said, I mean, you've got to tell me what it is. I said, Bill, we've got less than five minutes. I said, after all, don't we both work for the same king? Isn't his name Jesus? 
Don't you trust him? But I found out right there, he didn't. <laughs> he wanted to know. I said, Bill, I'm not going to tell you. I said, Jesus literally woke me up. Now, at this time, Bill told me I had never heard that of audible voice of God like you hear. He said, I've never heard that. Never in my life. In fact, the day he, asked that, he told me that, we were driving down the road in a little red car with two other men in the front seat. And he said, this guy tells me that he hears God talk to him. I said, have either one of you men ever heard God audibly speak to you? And both of them said, yeah, I have. One of them said once, one said twice. I said, see there, Bill? You know, I said, God does talk to some of us. I said, there's three out of four of us in his car he's talked to. <laughs> so anyway, he said, okay. So he, we go out and he walks out on the set. And I'm supposed to have an hour and a half. And he takes the first 25 minutes of my hour and a half each explaining about men of faith. And you really can't ever tell what a man of faith is going to say. So, you know, I wish I had the recording of what was said, but obviously they were not recording it. So I didn't get that. It was not on the CD. So when he walked out 25 minutes later, walked back on, he said, Thurman, it's yours. I walked on the set and I taught the second CD called How to Get a Lost Person Saved at the seminar. And... After I taught it, hour and five minutes, it took the whole hour and five minutes, God rounded it up and did a beautiful job. I walked off and he grabbed my hand, shook it, and he said, that was awesome. And that night at dinner with four or five other PhDs, we were sitting there and he said, when I get the message you taught this morning in the hands of 5,000 young people, we will literally win the world to Christ. He said, it was that powerful. But within a week, the Bill Gothard Seminar, if you wanted that teaching either day, you couldn't get it. They had removed it from that entire teaching, and I, I, had, I was already signed up to speak at four more of those big seminars, and he had to call me and say, Thurman, I caught so much flack. He said, I have to cancel you. And first he asked me to come back to Nashville, and I went up there for a week and I wrote rebuttals with him until Thursday from a stack this tall of men that disagreed with what I had to say on those two teachings. And by Thursday, I had just about had all I could stand. I said, Bill, do you know these people that are writing these letters? He said, most of them I do, Thurman. I said, how many healings or miracles have you ever seen done in one of these men's lives? He said, none. I said, how many people have you called me about I prayed for and God has healed them? He said, all of them. I said, I rest my case. I rest my case. I said, I obviously am doing what God wants me to be doing. Because I said, all those boys and those men and people and women and everything you've called me. When I prayed over the telephone, when you called me and He healed them, I said, you know, y'all were a thousand miles away. I couldn't have done that over the phone. It had to be God. He said, I know that was God. He said, there's no two ways about it. I know that was God. I said, okay, I rest my case. And so I said, I'm going home tomorrow, and I won't be back. And so I never have spoken at another seminar for him. It's just, that's just life. You know, when, when you start walking in God's anointing, you're going to stir up some demons, and you're going to find out that some of them's in the church. 
You know, you're going to find some of them's in the church. You really will. So that's okay. You know, all I can say, if you're not stirring up some demons, you're not doing much for Jesus. You know, because when you start really doing something for Jesus, you're going to stir up some devils. You believe that, brother? Yeah, I know that's a fact. Yeah, I know that's a fact. And I love stirring them up. You know, I love the flack that we catch because I love seeing Jesus do the wonderful things he does. I think about that story I read about a, a missionary or evangelist, whatever he was. He said, he had, back in the days when they had to ride a horse, and he said, I'd been to two or three places and preached, and I hadn't caught hardly any flack at all. So he said, I just felt compelled to stop and get off my horse and get on my knees and said, Lord, I don't know what it is I'm not doing right, but I'm not catching hardly any flack at all. I must not be doing something right. And he said, all of a sudden, some guy over there threw a rock and hit him right on the back. And he said, okay, Lord, thank you. I'm back on track again. He said, I can keep going now. <laughs> Somebody threw a rock at him while he was down there praying in the name of Jesus. He said, thank you, Lord. I know I'm on the right track again. He got up, got his horse, and praise God. And he rode off into the area to go to preach to his next church. Well, see, that's the battle we're in on this earth. You know, but most of us are catching the flack. We just don't realize where the flack's coming from. You know, whenever things are happening to us or bad things are happening or trials and tests are happening, we don't realize those are happening. And God is sending that. He's sending the enemy to put you to the test to see how you're going to fare. Because God's testing us. You know, uh, you know he, he, as I've said before, He don't want a bunch of wimps. You know, he wants some strong believers, people that's willing to go through the battle and the war and, you know, trudge right on out there, even whenever everything's coming against you. Never look back. Just go straight ahead and keep fighting the battle. That's what he wants. That's what he's doing. He's testing us. Yes, you have a question? Okay, hold on just a second. Let me get the mic. Yeah, yeah well, you, you, they can't hear unless it's on the... Oh, unless you're on the mic. Well, I don't know if my faith was being tested or not, but I locked my keys in my car yesterday when I went to, you know, be with a group of people from church. Well, I never did get upset. I mean, and we did pray, and I said, okay, somebody here has not got any faith because we couldn't get it. We couldn't get the hanger to push the button. But anyways, uh, another family came, and after we ate dinner, the guy went home and got a flim and opened it right up, but... You know, I was just really believing that we could get it open with that hanger, but we didn't. And some of the other people were getting a little irritated with me, but I, I was like, okay, well, I mean, you know. <laughs> you think you passed your test? I think I, I mean, I didn't get upset or anything. Amen. Things right. happened. Lord, I consider these trials and tests pure joy. <laughs> yes. Lord, thank you, thank you. That's hard to do, isn't it? Yes, it is. But that's what the Lord wants you to do, and that's what He's doing. And we see this all through the Scripture. When you get in there, you find out God's testing you. You know, He's absolutely testing you to see how you're going to fare. And most people don't realize it's God testing them. You know, when the test comes, they start grumbling and complaining. And He says, I don't like grumbling and complaining. <laughs> and so that doesn't exactly set well with the king. So that causes all kinds of problems. But when you realize that, just like I did, that I could go come boldly to the throne of grace in times of need, you know, to obtain mercy. And I realized when I learned this principle, 
I had already been experienced it. I had already taught it. God had revealed it to me. Like, you know, when you're praying, when you say, Lord, I'm praying for Joseph. He's been lost for 25 years. And Lord, I want him to come into the kingdom. So, Lord, I'm praying, Father, please, in Jesus' name, save Joseph. You know, one day he says, Son, that's what I'm trying to do. I thought, now, wait a minute. You're trying to save him? Lord, that's what I've been asking you to do. He said, I know, but that's not the way I told you to do it in my Word. Well, God, I want you to save him. He said, I know. And that's what I want too. But he said, you haven't believed my Word. What? He said, sure, I told you clearly in my Word that if there's any lost on this earth, which includes Joseph, that they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the truth. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. I told you that. Okay, so they're lost because the God of this world has blinded their mind to the truth. Otherwise, they would hear the gospel and be saved. Well, Lord, I, I still, I guess I'm pretty dense, but I still don't understand. So what am I supposed to do? He said, you don't believe my word. Yes, Lord, I believe it. He said, no, you don't. If you did, you would do exactly what I told you to do in Luke chapter 10, verse 20. When I told you, I gave you all power over the spirits. You would, when you're in the throne of grace, you would rebuke those spirits. You would command them in my name to get his hands off of Joseph. Then you would ask me to do what I told you when I said, pray that I, the Father will send labors into the harvest to bring them in. If you would pray everything like I said, do it in my word, then I can do something. I thought, Lord, this book means exactly what it says. You told me everything. I just haven't believed you. So, man, I go to the throne of grace. I find me some guy. I find some wicked, mean guy like Ty, you know, that's lost, you know, and he's out doing everything wrong. And I find out who he is. And I get his name and I start going to the throne of grace and rebuking them devils and asking the Lord to stick the Holy Ghost on him and start doing, convict him of sin. And then to send the right labor. And Lord, if that labor can be me, Lord, please send me. But if I'm not the one, I might not be able to get through to him, but somebody else might be able to. I said, Lord, just send the right labor into the harvest to get him saved. And then it's no time. You find out Ty Davenport gets saved. Somebody said, I don't believe this wicked critter. Nobody can bring him into the kingdom. We've heard people say those kind of things about somebody, right, Ty? Thurman Scrivener? I don't believe the wickedest kid in school. I ain't made. Nobody can get that guy saved. You can get anybody saved when you do it God's way. You know, I don't care who they are. I don't care how wicked they are. I've walked up to men and I say, how you doing? And they say, well, I'm okay. And every other word, like this guy that called the ministry center the other day. I mean, he lives in, he lives in your neighborhood somewhere. Because when, and he's putting out these CDs. I mean, I think that you coming tonight after hearing that, this guy called. And I'm telling you, it was everything but nice. I couldn't even begin. I bet that thing was five minutes long, wasn't it, honey? Oh, it was awful. Man, you blankety blank, blankety blank, blankety. I wouldn't even begin to repeat those words. 
He said, if you ever leave another one of these blankety blank things in my door, I will hunt you down. I will shoot you. I will kill you. Yep, that's what he said. I mean, and you ought to have heard the profanity. I mean, every ain't never, never been a sailor because he's better than this guy could. I guarantee you. I mean, you talk about stirring up a demon. I stirred up one. I mean, he was foul. So as soon as we got through, we erased the, the recording. And I said, honey, let's go to the throne of grace for that guy. That guy needs to get saved. He needs to know the king. So we went to the throne of grace, kicked out them devils, sick the Holy Ghost on him. And said, Lord, he don't have a chance. He don't have a chance. Holy Ghost, you said that we could ask him anything, didn't he, Joseph? So we come as his children. We can come boldly to the throne of grace when we got our sins repented up. When you come up there and jump up in his lap, he said, oh, Joseph, my son, there's that boy of mine I love that's got all his sins repented up. How can I help you today, son? That's the way it is with us and God, isn't it? Amen. We jump up and say, Dad. This guy, he really was mean, and he really said some nasty things. You heard him, Lord. But, Lord, you love that guy just as much as you do me. The devil's blinded his mind. Now, I have all power and all authority over that devil. I'm kicking that devil out in the name of Jesus. I'm commanding that beast to get his hands. He's got to go now. In Jesus' name, he's got to get his hands off him. I'm in the throne of grace. I'm kicking that devil out. I'm a son of God. All power and all authority has been given to me. And according to Luke chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, all power is given to me over the devil. He has to be subject to me in your name, Lord. So I'm telling that devil to get his hands off of this man. Now I'm asking you, Father, in Jesus' name, to send the Holy Ghost and begin to convict that man to sin, begin to draw him into the kingdom. And then, Lord, whoever that right labor is, I have no idea who lives close to him or who his friend is. But somebody, you send somebody, and you know exactly who that labor is, you send the right one to minister to that man at the right time. And Lord, I claim that man's spirit, soul, and body for you and for service under your kingdom forever. And I want you to know, Dad, I ain't going to have it no other way. Because you said I could ask in anything I ask in your name, you'll do. So that man's saved in the name of Jesus. See, instead of saying something all nasty about the guy, saying, ooh, that guy, man, I hope that guy dies and goes to hell. No, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. You know, that's exactly what that devil wants you to do. But when you get a hold of the battle we're fighting and the power you and me have in the name of Jesus and what we can ask for when we ask in faith, wow. I mean, I've seen men like him. I've seen men get saved. I've seen men come back in my office later and say, Thurman, what you teach really works. I, re- I know so-and-so. And every other word out of his mouth for the last 10 or 20 years has been profanity. But he said, once you led him into the kingdom, got him saved, he ain't said a cuss word since. He said, what you teach really works. That's a pretty good sign. The Bible's true, isn't it? You know, because we're going to read about some of those things when we get over in First John tonight. We're going to talk about these things. We, as a church, don't know the Word. It's just like I was sitting talking to a couple of ladies just recently with my lovely wife. And I, my first question was, you know, we don't believe the Word. And she said, I'm a Christian and I believe the Word. Okay. So we talk a few minutes and and all of a sudden I'm trying to explain to this lady because the daughter of this lady has been sick since she was four years old. She's 33, I think she said. And I said, well, I said, you know, you haven't believed God's Word. And so I told her, I said, you, if you will believe, I said, now, of course, you're under a curse. 
because her daddy and her mother did all kinds of things wrong, especially her daddy. And he divorced the mother and all kinds of things. And he lived in the world. And I mean, he lived in the world. And I think he's probably still living in the world. I don't know exactly all the details, but I heard enough to know that she was under a curse because of her daddy's sin. But I said, you know, Christ has redeemed you from that curse. But you've got to know it. And you've got to be able to, by faith, to receive it. So I told her, I said, I want you to open. And we opened. I handed her NLT, a New Testament. I said, I want you to turn to Galatians 3, 13, 14, and 15. And I want you to read those three verses. And then I want y'all, you to tell me what they meant to you. And she read those three verses in the NLT. And she sat there for a minute. She said, I don't understand it. I said, now see, this is your problem. No Scripture is revealed to you except by the Holy Ghost. No Scripture is a private interpretation. I said, if you don't draw near to God, God will not draw nigh to you. And so if you don't spend the time with Him, He will not reveal His book to you. But I said, when you draw near to God, He will open your understanding to these Scriptures where it will make sense and you will understand it. I said, then you can get set free. But until you're willing to do that. And of course, I got tickled. You know, we've been there just a few minutes and one of the ladies, the mother, she said, you know, we, we really don't have much time, you know, and here she's got a daughter that's extremely critical, that's on dialysis and everything else, and she ain't got time to spend time. I, I just told her, I said, ma'am, I just, I, I'm just going to tell you that it, that's why, again, y'all are sick, because you have too much time for the world and not enough time for God. I said, if you're not willing to give God this afternoon and sit down, I said, your daughter and you can both be sick the rest of your life if you want to, because I said, you've got to draw near to the king. You've got to give the king time. See, that's why I've had the privilege to walk where I walk. I used to go home in the evening after I spent all day with him at work. I mean, he was on my mouth and in my heart, and I talked about Jesus in my job and everything I did and saw God do miracles and all kinds of things. But when I come home at night, a lot of times... I just maybe I'd have dinner with my wife, which wasn't Cheryl at the time. Of course, my, that wife got killed in a car wreck. But I might have dinner with her, and then I'd go in a room and I'd lock the door and I'd stay in there three, four, or five hours in the Word, just me and God. That's how I got where I am today. This didn't just happen by accident. I spent those hours with God, lots of them. And I still do. Cheryl knows. I'll go to my office and, and, you know, sometimes she comes by. When she has to have something, she come knock on the door and come in. But sometimes I'll spend, I'll go in there at 10 o'clock at night and 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm still in there, you know, reading, studying God's Word. I still do that, you know. But, hey, I like for God to hear my prayer. Don't you? Yes, you know. I mean, I know Ty, he gets up every morning. I mean, virtually not a morning misses at somewhere around 3 or 4 o'clock. And he spent two or three hours with God in that Word nearly every day of his life. You know, and that's why God talks to him. Because he spends that time with the king. And he says, well, I don't have time to do that. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. He's no respecter first. He said, can I, can I just get up at 10 and open the Bible, read five minutes and do the same thing you do? I don't think it's going to work like that. I don't believe God's going to do that for you. It would be kind of like, you know, uh, if I 
were to come home to Cheryl on Sunday and say, Cheryl, honey, I want to take you to dinner tonight, today, and we go to dinner and we go home, and then I, next morning I get up and I say, honey, I'll see you later. And next Sunday, without calling or anything, next Sunday I come bopping back in the house and I said, ah, honey, is breakfast ready this morning? She said, who are you? Who are you? Is that kind of the way it would be? Yeah, I think so. You know, at least if I had to be out of town for a week, she wants me to call her three or four times a day or something to let her know what's going on. You know, not just to show up a week later. It don't work like that. And that's what we do to God. We try to do Him the same way. And we come to church on Sunday and then we don't read the Word. We don't pray over our food. We don't do nothing. I mean, I was guilty of these things. And for 40 years of my life, I lived in church, you know, every time the door was open, but never saw an answer to prayer. Not one. There's something wrong. If you're a Christian, you don't see God answer your prayer. You're not doing it His way. But when you start doing it His way, hey, He shows up. And He shows up big time. The deeper you get into His Word, the more time you spend with Him. And the more you learn about Hebrews 4.16, going to the throne of grace. I mean, did you know how often God would love for you to come to the throne of grace? He'd love for you to stay up there. That's what He would love for you to do, to stay there with Him. And then, if you could spend that much time with Him, He tells us to pray about everything, in all things, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. How many people do that? Just like I've told you all before, but all of you haven't heard this, but since Dave's sitting back there right now, I'll tell you what he did to me the other day. I have a heater that's not working out there at one of the buildings, and I'm running around trying to, I went over, checked it, and it had a code 2 flashing on it. Well, I looked for a book, couldn't find a book, come back over to the ministry center, looked for a book, couldn't find it. I called the company that I bought it from. They didn't have a book. I called the manufacturer of it. They couldn't tell me what it was without a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm just frustrated. And I'm sitting there hung up with the telephone. Dave walked in. He says, what's wrong with you? I said, I'm frustrated, Dave. I can't find a code book. I've got to have a code book to tell me what's wrong with that uh, uh, heater over there. He said, well, you know, my pastor, now that's me, of course. He said, my pastor would say, have you prayed about it yet? And there you go. And I threw up my hands. I said, Lord, forgive me. I am so sorry. I said, Father, in Jesus' name, I got to know where that code book is. Will you please tell me? I said, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Bam, just like that. I knew where that book was. I got up and went right around there and picked it up. It's all because he come in and said, you know, my pastor would say, have you prayed about it yet? But see, he listens to my preaching better than I do. <laughs> I'm just, now, y'all can laugh at me, but every one of y'all are guilty of the same day. You know, every one of you have done the same thing I've done. But when I ask, the king immediately opened my understanding where I had left that book. I mean, immediately I knew. I got right up out of my chair and walked right in there and picked it up in another room right where it was. But up until then, I had no knowledge where it was. Now, see, you've got to be obedient to ask. Now, if you don't ask, he was sitting there saying, I know where that book sets up. All you got to do is ask me. Humble yourself before me and ask me. That's okay, Lord. I don't need your help. I can find it on my own. Hey, okay, okay. If that's the way you want to go, just let's see how long it's going to take you. Now, isn't that a shame? That's, that's the way we do business every day. Every one of us are guilty of that. 
when all we've got to do is ask the king, and he'll tell us. So he tells us, he makes us a declaration there in Hebrews 4.16, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. He didn't say come in there whining, did he? He didn't say come in there crying. He said come in there boldly. Tell me what you want in times of need for mercy. Wow. And when you come in with all your sins repented of, he will hear your prayer. And he will talk to you. He will answer you. Now then, let's turn to 1 John 3. Uh, these, these, this chapter, well, this whole book of 1 John is an awesome book. I mean, it is an awesome teaching. But most people are like I have been most of my life. I read these things, but they couldn't possibly mean what they say. I mean, God, He wouldn't do this to me, would He? Yes, He will. He really will. Let's go to 1 John 3, and let's start with verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He really is. That's awesome to think about, isn't it? That we are going to be just like Jesus. Technically speaking, right now, right now, He's supposed to be conforming us into His image right now. You know, if you're not like Jesus today, then tomorrow He expects you to be closer to the mark than you were today. Because you're to, you are to be conformed into the image of Christ, our King. That's a pretty good plateau to get to, don't you think? Well, I feel like on these infinite number of steps. I don't know how many they are up there to get there, but I feel like I've crawled up on the first one. You know, I'm one step up on this tall ladder. But I want to get more and more and more steps up on that ladder. Because he says here, and every man, now just think, we shall see him as he is. We're going to get to see Jesus. Now, if you believe that, and if you're a son of God, he says, and every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as Christ is pure. Now, if you and me have this hope that one day we're going to see the king, we're really his son or daughter, we're really his child, and we're going to really see him and we're going to be just like him, then right now today, the goal is for you and me to purify ourselves from how much sin? All sin. Purify ourselves. So, if we are Christians, there must be something wrong with a lot of the church. They don't understand this or something. We don't even come close to purifying ourselves from all evil, do we? I mean, so we sat down and that's just like a lady the other day. She said about six months ago, I watched a movie with my children. And I thought it was a great movie. We had it on DVD. She said, then I got a hold of your teaching and I started listening to them. Said, I've listened to several of your DVDs and said the other night the children wanted to watch that movie again. So we got it down and turned it on. We watched a few minutes of it and she said I had to stop it and I had to tell them, children, 
I can't watch this. This movie convicts me of sin. I cannot. We can't watch this. Now, what was the difference six months ago when it didn't convict her? What had she heard in the six months after she watched the movie when there was no conviction of sin? What had she done? She had been listening to my teaching. She's listening to me say what the Word says. And this is one of the places. Them that are going to be conformed into the image of Christ, to be like Christ. Today, you and I are supposed to purify ourselves from all evil. What does it mean to be pure? Can you just have a... Well, I mean, if you go out and buy you a great, big, beautiful steak, you know, a big, beautiful one, and you set it on the cabinet... Now then, I used to didn't understand what it was when you see a fly come zooming around and he lands on your piece of steak. He sits there for a moment and you see, I don't that fly on my steak. You shove him off, you know. But one day when I got into the food industry and they brought a video to show us on a big screen what happens when a fly lands on a piece of meat and this little snorkel deal is coming out that he vomits out all this stuff that comes out all over that piece of meat and it immediately begins to start rotting and then he sucks all that stuff back up in. You think, oh, don't let a fly in my house. If I see a fly, he's dead. <laughs> what you don't know don't hurt you. But knowledge is a wonderful thing. And sometimes, right, Doc? I mean, you think, wow, don't let that fly land on nothing. In fact, I'm going to tell you one night, one night, a church party, we went out to some friend's house out close to Justin, and they had a goat farm. And we were going to cook hamburgers outside. And when we started cooking them hamburgers, I have never seen the thousands of flies that came from everywhere. I mean, you know, we were shooing them things off that hamburger meat. We was cooking it, and then flies were landing by the millions. And... If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have eaten there. That <laughs> I don't even have that much faith, I'll tell you for sure. I think of the thousands of flies that was landing, vomiting on that piece of meat. And here we are going to eat it, and we ate that stuff. Ooh, you know. Now see, that piece of meat wasn't pure no more, was it? No, it was not pure. <laughs> organic tenderizer. I love that. Oh, Lord. Organic tenderizer. That's okay. I'll, I'll beat it with a tenderizer. I don't need the organic tenderizer. But I didn't know that then. That was before I had the knowledge. But that, so that didn't really bother me to eat that meat. I was the flies land, but so we shooed them off. We built our hamburgers and we ate it. So that's what happens to us when we learn when we can go out and we can go to a movie that takes the Lord's name in vain, you know, or we can stand around and listen to people tell dirty jokes, and it really don't bother us. But when you begin to get a hold of what the Word really teaches, who you are, you're a princess of the King of the universe, and He's in you. And when somebody's telling a dirty joke, they're offending Jesus. He's in you. That makes a difference when you realize, hey, I used to. I mean, Cheryl and I, we go somewhere, we walk up somewhere, and I, me and Ty, let's say we're out somewhere, and some guy uses three or four bad words over here, really foul stuff. You know, he's over there talking, oh, well, you know, we just walk on off. But if we got our wives with us, 
And this guy walks up and starts using his foul. I said, hey, Buster, hold it. You don't talk like that in the presence of my wife. And see, this is the way it should be. We shouldn't even allow them to do it because he's in the presence of our king. You know, I don't want to listen to that stuff. If I'm sitting at a restaurant and somebody starts using foul language, I have done this before in a restaurant. I have got up and walked over to a table and said, Sir, are you a Christian? And the guy says, No. I said, Well, I am. And I said, I would appreciate it if you wouldn't use those foul words in here until at least after I leave. And if he tells me, No, I'm going to talk like I want to, then I turn to the hostess and say, I'm out of here. Somebody else can pay for my meal. I'm gone. I'm not going to stay in the presence of a place like this. I won't stay there. I leave. And I've had people say, you know, really get on my case for that. But that's okay. I don't care. I ain't trying to please them. I'm only trying to please my king. You know, and I have walked up and told men like that. I'd get up and say, sir, are you a Christian? Well, yes, I am. Why? I said, because you're using a lot of foul language. And I'm a Christian. And the Lord says in his word, let every word that comes out of your mouth glorify me. And I said, what's coming out of your mouth is not glorifying our king. And boy, they will shut up in a heartbeat. If they're really a Christian, the Holy Spirit will convict them just like that. But that's what he sends us to do. Those of us that have this hope that he's in us, we're supposed to purify ourselves. What does it mean to be pure? Does it mean going to a dirty movie once in a while? Does it mean watching a blood and guts movie on television once a week? No. It means to purify yourself. And that's why the church don't see Jesus do anything through them because they will not purify themselves. I mean, so it don't hurt anything for me to watch a soap opera every day. Just one 30-minute soap opera. Well, it will cut off your power with God. That's what it'll do. So if you don't want to see God answer your prayer, then go ahead and listen to the soap opera. You can either be a part of the world or you can be part of God. It all depends on where you want to walk. And that's why Cheryl said the other night, she said, you know, we've got a television in our bedroom or in our front room. And she said, I don't even remember the last time I've turned it on. Yeah, We don't have time for television no more. Of course, the television we have is only attached to an antenna that has 13 or 14 Christian channels. That's all it is. They don't have nothing else on it. We don't have time to watch that. And movies, I think Cheryl used to go to movies a whole lot a long time ago, but after she married me, we've only been to about four or five. And they've all been based around the Word of God. You know, so that's the only reason we go. We're too busy. We've got too many things going on for Jesus. Just like tonight. When I leave here tonight, I don't know what time it'll be when I get out here after we probably go eat or something. But when I get home tonight, I've still got to make radio shows. This week, this week, I've got to make at least 20 more 50-minute radio shows. And I've got to start preparing for 15 more 30-minute television shows that by the 12th of this month, I've got to be prepared to make live 15 30-minute television shows. Hey, I don't know I don't know what y'all do, but I don't have time to mess around and watch other things. I've got to study the Word and get in the Word and pray and seek God so I can do this. You know, it's a very time-consuming chore. And then, of course, teach Bible studies, you know, Tuesday night an hour and a half or two hours, Sunday afternoon an hour and a half, two hours, and then one Saturday a month, a four-hour healing school. So, 
if you think preachers don't do nothing, you need to hang around with me a little while. You'll find out that we're busy critters, aren't we, Ty? <laughs> I called Ty once more. He said, good grief. It started early this morning at 6 o'clock and didn't get through with them until 10 o'clock tonight. You know, praying for them on the phone. That's the way our days is a lot of times, isn't it? Yeah. It's busy. But you need to take these words for heart, to heart, when the Lord says, but every man, every person, that has this hope in Him, purifies Himself even as Christ is pure. But we've got a, quite a goal to shoot for there, don't we? Yeah, that's the goal. Do you want to see Jesus answer your prayers? Yeah. Hey, I love to see Him answer my prayers. No, He says, you do it. That's right, you do it. That's just like somebody, I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, would you pray and ask God to give me your kind of faith? I said, no, that's not a scriptural prayer. I can't pray that for you. I said, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So get in the Word, study it, and your faith will come. I can't pray for you to have great faith. You've got to study. And somebody said, well, I've heard, had many people come up and say, would you pray and ask God to make me a tither? I said, no, He told you to be a tither. So I ain't no use me praying about that. I'm wasting my breath. So, I said, just start tithing and your problems are solved in that area. You know, I said, no, I don't need to pray about it. You don't need to pray about anything God told you in His Word took what to do. Is that true? If the king said do it, you don't have to pray about it. You know what His will is. Just do it. You know, but that's not us. We want to go out and say, oh, God, please, Lord, if it be your will, will you please show me if you want me to tithe? Now, Lord, I think we're living under grace. I don't have to tithe anymore. So I'm not going to tithe. He said, okay, if you don't want to tithe, just be broke or let the devil be on your back all the time. If I can't trust you with a little bit of money, he said, then I ain't going to trust you with the great things of the kingdom. So forget it. You ain't ever going to get no major prayers answered. And that's the way it is. Amen. So, so it'll be on the tape. I thought it's on. Hello? Yeah. I have a brother of the Methodist minister, and when he says grace is the table, it's... Uh, Lord, for what we're about to receive, make us truly thankful. Make us what? Make us truly thankful. Oh, <laughs> make us truly thankful. Oh, Lord. How about this then? Lord, we are truly thankful for what you blessed us with in Jesus' name. It's amazing how that, that, that's right. No faith. That's just like the other night or the day we were in another city. We were talking to a man of another denomination, and he said they were going to go out and have dinner with some of the preachers. And, and and so he said, we went on the inside and they came a little bit later and when they come in, he said that we just sat down at the table with serve and we started to eat. And I said, hey, I said, before we eat, aren't we going to at least thank the Lord for this food? They said, no, we thanked the Lord out in the car before we came in because we didn't want to offend anybody in here. I'm going to tell you, I don't want them guys praying for me. You know, I don't want nobody that's like that. God ain't going to hear your prayer when you pray. When you walk in that restaurant, you ought to stand up if it comes time and say, Hey, in the name of Jesus, I'm fixing to bless this food. <laughs> or at least if you're still sitting down, say it loud enough that everybody at the table can at least hear it. You know, don't whisper it. You know, you're down there somebody said, Somebody say grace? Oh, so we just did. You did? Who did it? Oh, sermon right there. What? I'm sitting right beside you. I didn't hear you say grace. You didn't say it very loud, did you? No, don't be caught like that. Don't be ashamed of the king. 
if you're ashamed of the king, he'll be ashamed of you. In fact, we were down at a restaurant the other night. With, uh, I think that's when Michael was here. You know, we were all talking. Well, we were so excited about Jesus. We were talking about Jesus. Man, we must have stayed in there two hours. We ate and had a good time. And when we got ready to leave, the girl come over and she said, Who gets a check? I said, I do. And she handed it up there. And I grabbed this. And she said, I looked at it. I said, What's this? She said, Y'all's meal's already been paid for. Those men that were sitting over there, they obviously enjoyed what y'all were talking about. So they paid y'all's check when they went out. So <laughs> we didn't even have to pay. It was great, wasn't it? So they left their card and everything. Ty called them later and left and told them thank you and everything for paying. Because they did leave a card. And they were preachers. They were preachers of a church in Louisville. So it was really great. So, I mean, God is so awesome, you know. We're just talking about Him. We love Him. But He says here, We shall purify ourselves and we are to become pure even as He is pure. And then verse 4, He makes a statement there that's astounding that the church does not believe. Whosoever commit a sin transgresses also the law. If you sin, you transgress the law of God. But people say, but we're not under the law. I mean, the church has got to realize the church is not under the law. Well, you're not under law as long as you walk in love. As long as you keep the love commandments, when you love the Lord your God with all your heart, he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, and we'll go over and read that in a little while, that your faith works through love. So when you're walking in the God kind of love, your faith will walk, and at that point you walk in grace. So you're truly not under the law. So, it, And of course, we'll talk about all these things a little bit later in Galatians 5, where he talks about you know that love and joy and meekness and all those wonderful things. Against these things, there is no law. And when you're walking there, you know, you're walking in grace. And you're walking into God's love. And you're not under the law. And no demon of hell has legal right to attack you to make you sick. You can walk free of sickness and disease. But the church has not understood this principle. I read this. I looked at this. I meditated on this for months and years trying to get this. I asked everybody I knew. And nobody could give me the answer. Finally, one day I said, God, it's simple. You mean exactly what you say, period. There ain't no two ways about it. I don't need a doctor of theology to try to explain to me something you said. You said right here, whoever should commit a sin transgresses the law. So if I sin, in fact, I'll go a little more in depth in that. We go over to James, and we'll just talk about this for a second, because I taught on this just here a while back in James chapter 1. It says, if a rich man walks in, Here's a rich man. He walks in. And here's a poor man. He just walks in. And I say, look at this fine suit this guy's got on. Oh, look at these old raggedly tennis shoes and, and this old, uh, you know, tore blue jeans and everything else this guy's got on. He's a poor guy. He ain't got no money. This guy here, fine, he's got money. Oh, sir, you come over here and sit right here up on the front where you can have a good seat. And you come on back here and sit on the back. That's an example, just like that in the Word of God. We've read that, haven't we? You know what the Lord says there? He says, if you do that, you are guilty of sin. You have just transgressed the law, and He says, you are guilty 
of adultery and murder. That's kind of scary, isn't it? But that's what the Word says. So if I show favoritism to you over you because of the way you were dressed, he said, you're guilty of sin. And you transgress the law. And when you transgress the law and you break one part of the law, how many parts of the law are you guilty of? That's what that man just said right there. He said all of it. So that's why he can say I'm guilty of being a murderer and an adulterer. So when you're a murderer and an adulterer, guess what kind of power the demons of hell have against you now when they look up and see, oh, look at that adulterer there. Look at that murderer. Let's get him. You just broke the law. And so they have legal right to attack you. And they will make you sick and afflict you. They will torment you. That's scary stuff, isn't it? Well, see, it's in the Word. See, every church member don't no more believe that than they can fly without wings. But it's in the Word. And that's why we got so many people in church that's sick. Because they don't understand these principles. They will not spend enough time with God for Him to reveal to them that He means what He says. But when you get a hold of the fact, He means what He says. Hey, when you read it, you start straightening your act up. You know it. Yes, you do. I did. I guarantee. That's why I lay there last night just before Cheryl come to bed and I was praising Him and thanking Him. Because I know He says, praise me in everything. You know, worship me in all things. Man, that's what I was doing. I wanted the King to be happy last night. I wanted to be happy every night. You know, because if He ain't happy, I read one time where He walked into a place and they wasn't doing exactly what he wanted when he was here on earth. And he picked up some ropes and made some cords and he walked through that place and he thrashed them. Ooh! He also says, spiritually, he said, if you break my rules, although you don't know what you're doing is wrong, I will just beat you with a few stripes. But he said, if you know it's wrong and do it anyway, I'll beat you with many stripes. Ooh, that man, he's read, he, he knew it. He knows the word. He's read it. That's what the king said, isn't it? You think he really meant that? Yes, he really meant that. Ooh. So if he really means that, then what do we need to do to keep him getting beat either with few or many stripes? Purify ourselves from all sin and walk holy in his presence, right? And do exactly what he says. But he says in verse 4 there, Whosoever commit a sin transgresses the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Somebody said, but we're not under law. You're not till you sin. When you sin, you fall back under the law. You fall from grace and you're a sinner. And the example, when I got a hold of this principle, I give this example and everybody can understand this. God, in the state of Texas, is the legislative department down in Austin that makes the rules. We don't ever see them. We don't know who they are. You may know who your representative is or whatever, but probably not. You probably never met him. But they go down there and they make a set of rules. They're God over the state of Texas. They say, we'll, the highway, if you're Interstate 35 going through Dallas, we're going to make a speed limit 60 miles an hour. When you get out of town at a certain place, you can drive 70. But through town, you're going to drive 60. And you're driving 70 coming down the freeway and 
the speed limit sign says 70, and all of a sudden you come up on one that says from here, the speed limit 60. You think, oh, well, you know, I love driving 70, or maybe in 75, so I'll just keep on driving 70. It's the same road, you know, same width, everything, maybe even a little wider here in town. So you come ripping on through town at 70 or 75, and all of a sudden you see this little car behind you, there's a blinky lights on it. And I wonder what this guy wants. And he comes up and says, you know, uh, you were driving 75. Yeah, yeah. So what's the big deal? Well, the rules say 60. Okay, so I'll drive 60. He said, okay, but I'm going to give you a little ticket, and it'll only cost you about $300. And you fuss and jump and everything. And he says, and you were a little hard to get along with. And the judge said, okay, that'll be 200 more. They can do that to you, can't they? Sure they can. Now, what did that man have to do to not fall from grace? Right, Obey the law, right? If he obeyed the law, if the law said 70 up there until he got into the edge of Dallas and it said 60, all he got to do is slow down to 60, drives right through Dallas to 60. You can pass every police officer in town as long as he's not driving over 60 and them boys ain't going to bother him, are they? Not at all. Not going to bother him at all. Because he hasn't fell from grace, he's staying within the confines of the law. And so, if you want to fall from grace, you know the easiest way we today as Christians fall from grace? I'm going to tell you what I think. The easiest way we fall from grace is when we're put to the test, instead of passing the test, we grumble about the test. I know none of y'all do that but me. We grumble a lot, don't we? A little test comes along. Why me, God? I mean, I had a flat. I'm on the way to church, Lord, and I got a flat. Of all things, I got a stupid flat on the way to church. It's grumbling and complaining, right? But how many people, you have a flat, you start bumping, you stop and pull out and say, Praise the Lord, I got a flat. Thank you, Jesus, for this test. I know you're going to send somebody by to help me change this flat. And did you know if you can stay in that in that state of worship and prayer. The Lord says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. Now, see, we don't believe Him, do we? No, we don't believe Him. Now, if you believe Him, when He says, do all things without grumbling and complaining, you'd stop grumbling and complaining. And you know what? You'd pass all your tests a whole lot quicker, and you'd zip right on through them, and you'd come out on the other side, and life would be a whole lot better. But when you grumble and complain... Somebody says, you know, there's no way, there is absolutely no way God would do no such a thing as that. Well, all you got to do is go back to the Old Testament. You know that the king that we serve, he was the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he never changes. Is that what the Scripture says? Hebrews 13, 8, if you want to know where that's found. So, we go back in the Old Testament, and he put the Israelites to the test. He put them out there in the desert, and there's no food and no water. What immediately did they do? Word, Lord, we praise you and thank you. We know you're going to provide for us out here. <laughs> this little girl, she's laughing, shaking her head. She already knows that's not what they did, didn't they? Did they grumble and complain a little? A lot. Did God like it? No, He did not. And then whenever they grumble and complain, it says, We want meat to eat, Lord. We're tired. We're sick and tired of this manna falling down the sky every day. We've got to go out and pick this stuff up. We want some meat to eat. God says, okay. Moses, tell them tomorrow I'll have a meet. And Moses said, God, 
You couldn't feed all this multitude meat tomorrow if you killed every fish in the sea. He says, Moses, you think my arm's getting short? So the next morning, Moses didn't have any idea how God's going to do this either because he's just like you and me. He thinks too much like a man. In fact, if you were to ask me tomorrow, if there was no food in Dallas, and that's about the same number of people we're talking about, the Metroplex, how would you like to be given the chore to feed the Metroplex meat tomorrow if there was not a morsel of meat in town today? That'd be a pretty good chore. You'd have to really get some trucks and 18-wheelers and trains and everything else together to have enough meat in the grocery store for every human being in Dallas to have a bite of meat tomorrow, wouldn't you? Well, that's the chore that Moses was up against, about the same number of people. Four, five, or six million people. That's beyond my comprehension. But the next morning, quail come flying through slow. They just reached out and got them. You know, they wasn't fast. They were, I, I can see them now flittering right up in somebody's face. Said, Here I am, get me. You know? And so they're just reaching out there and getting them. You know? And they're cleaning them quail and everything. And God says, I give you your request. But He said, I send a wasting disease with it to destroy many of you. And it says, many of them died with the meat in their teeth because of their grumbling and complaining. Now, do you think God likes grumbling and complaining? You want to know why a lot of Christians are sick in the hospital today? Because they're grumbling and complaining. That's all some people do is grumble and complain. Somebody says, God would not do that to me. Oh, yes, He will. If you, if you just keep on grumbling and complaining, you'll find out He will do that to you. But, you know, we don't believe this. I mean, I was telling Ty a while ago, I read Jeremiah 8, 9, and 10 also today while I was just thumbing through the Scriptures trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I read that. And as I read Jeremiah 8, 9, and 10, I mean, all over those Scriptures, God was upset with them people. He's saying, because of your wickedness, because of your sin, I'm going to send this to destroy you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And all of it was bad. And who was going to do it? God was going to do it. He said, I, the Lord, have spoken. This will happen to you. Who is it coming from? From the Lord. Hey, you don't upset the king. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. If you want your prayers answered, you better make the king happy. You know, worship him and praise him. Now he says there, Whoever commit, Whosoever commit a sin, transgress the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And if you, if you sin... And sin is a transgression of the law. In verse 5, says, And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. In our King, how much sin? None. He came to destroy it. He was manifested to take it away. And so, His power in you, you can walk through the day without sin. You don't have to sin today. You don't have to lie today. You don't have to tell a dirty joke today. You don't have to, whenever they give you too much money back at Walmart, you don't have to walk out and say, oh, I made out good today. You know, because if you do, you're going to pay dearly for that. That's stealing. You know, so you don't do that. But most Christians don't know that. You know, they think, well, I just made five dollars. No, it probably will cost you a whole lot more than $5. The devil will get his, I guarantee you. So you don't want it to go there. You want to keep yourself pure. 
I mean, just like the other day, I bought a little something called $12, and it was a little something, and I was buying four or five things, and I had some stuff, and I even had bought a battery, and they're pretty heavy, and I picked up all this stuff here, and didn't go get a basket. I was trying to carry everything, so this little item I had that was 12 bucks, I stuck it in my pocket, left a tag sticking on the outside, so I for sure wouldn't forget it. And I walked up and checked out, and went out to the car, Put the battery in the in the back of the pickup, I mean, and started put everything in, and it started to sit down, and I looked down, and I thought, oh, my lands, there's that little thing I stuck in that pocket. I forgot, so I go running back in there, getting back in line, stand in line, get back up there. I said, ma'am, I'm sorry, I forgot to take these out of my pocket. I walked out a while ago, and I didn't pay for them, and they're what, twelve, $7, $12, whatever it was. And she rang him up, and she said, sir, you really are honest. I said, ma'am, I've learned the consequences for not being honest. And I'd, I, if that was $7 or $12 or whatever it was, I said, I didn't want to have to pay 100 for it. It ain't worth 100 I'd rather pay for it at whatever the market value is because I know what's going to happen. If I get out there and I steal that, I'm going to open the door to the devil. And I said, who knows what he may do to me before I get home. He might break the transmission on my car. I don't know. And that might cost 2000 to fix it. So... I'd hold up rather pay for this up front. See, most Christians don't believe these kind of things. But it's, it's true. You know, as we started out there a while ago, what's laid naked and bare before God? Everything. Hebrews 4. You can't hide nothing from Him, can you? So He knows. And so when you sin or break the law, He knows. Now, He's going to give me a little bit of grace time. I get home and I... Uh oh, there's them things. Now what am I gonna do? That little thing I stuck in my pocket, seven dollars, twelve dollars, whatever it was. What am I gonna do with this? Lord, I really don't want to go back up there right now. I got some other things to do. But I'll lay them right here so I don't forget. And tomorrow when I head back that way, I'll go back by tomorrow and I'll tell them I I, I had this in my pocket and I forgot to check it out. He said, I'll give you that grace. I'll give you that grace. But tomorrow you better take it back. You better go pay for it tomorrow. You know, so, but if you, two or three, four, five days goes by and you think, oh, well, they forgot it by now, nobody knows anyway. I'm in trouble. You, you make a statement? Well, what about. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So, well, what about if you, you know, like, okay, I was on the way here and I stopped by churches to get a sandwich. Well, I it went through the window, I paid them the money, started down the road. And they didn't give me the sandwich. They gave me some chicken instead. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I don't have time to go back. <laughs> <laughs> Which one was the most expensive? Well, I don't know because they always have sales. Oh, okay. And I was, it was just anyway, you paid for some food, right? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not. I mean, as long as you paid for it, if they give you the wrong thing, uh, you know, and you didn't have time to go back, as long as you think they're about the same price, I wouldn't even be concerned about that, you know. As long as the, now then, if you went in and paid for a uh, 95-cent drink and they look in the sack and had a $15 sirloin in there with it, now that would be a different story. I'd say, oh, you got to go back and tell them they messed up and either give them the sirloin back or pay for it, one of the two. But if, you know, if you paid for a sandwich and they give you chicken instead, both of them probably within pennies of the same price. So in that kind of a deal, I'd just say, okay, Lord. Instead of fussing at them for giving me the wrong thing, I'll just eat this and bless it in the name of Jesus and we'll go on. You know. Yeah, yeah, and that might be, you know, but you know, something like that, I don't I don't think that's major. You did pay. 
you know, and you got a little bit of food, so probably, you know, you were okay. But it says here, in verse 6, it says, Whoever abideth in Him... Now, this is one that was a real kicker for me for a long time. <laughs> you're, you're looking at it. You just read that too, didn't you? Whoever abideth in Him... How much sin is in us? How much sin? If we abide in the King. I mean, I mean, think about it. Now, if we abide in the King. In other words, if we're in the Word every day. How do we abide in Him? Do you, do you watch four hours of secular television every day and abide in Him? No. No. If you abide in the King every day, you're in His Word every day, you're loving Him, you're worshiping Him, you're praising Him, how much sin does He say you do there? If you abide in Him, how often do you sin? He says you don't. Now, I mean, good grief, everybody's got to know that nobody can go through the day without sinning. That's what we believe, isn't it? If we can't go through the day without sinning, then guess what? That means we're not abiding in Him. Is that right? I mean, the Word can't be wrong, right, Joseph? Whoever abideth in Him. So, see, I, I think that's where we miss it. We spend maybe 30 minutes in the morning or 30 minutes at night reading the Word. And then the rest of the day we don't have time. Even like myself the other day, when I was so busy trying to fix that heater, it's obvious I was not abiding in God. I hadn't even... He couldn't get through to me. He was knocking on my heart saying, Son, if you'll just ask me, I'll tell you where that book's at. It took Dave to walk in and tell me. Well, my pastor, he would say, Have you prayed about this yet? And I said, I have not had to be the first thing. Now, I have not prayed about this. But I did. After I repented, said, Lord, I'm sorry. And then he immediately forgave me and immediately told me where it was. But if I'd have been abiding in him 100%, I would have just known where that book was. I would have known. Whoever abideth in him does not sin. Is that what the Bible says? Then it says, Whosoever sinneth, if you're living in sin, hath not seen Him, neither do you know Him. Now, that's also scary, isn't it? That's scary. I don't know. Had your brother abide in Him? I had. Had you much rather abide in Jesus and have Him answer all your prayers and you know that you know that you know that you're walking holy and obedient to His Word. But I want to tell you, when I begin to read these Scriptures in detail, years ago, 10 or 15 years ago now, I guess it's been at least 15 years ago, I had to turn off the radio. I had to turn off the television. I had to stop reading the newspaper. I had to stop reading magazines. I have to try to stop when I go inside of a store to pay for gas, to not look at the magazines just on the shelves. Some of them are awful. You go through an airport, you know, you go over to the magazine counter. You can't, I mean, you, you just look and you see sin everywhere. All over the pages of those books, just on the cover. You all know what I'm talking about. It's almost impossible. The enemy makes it almost impossible for us as Christians to purify ourselves and walk holy before God all day, every day. 
He, but God allows him or sends him to do this to put you and me to the test to find out what we're going to do. Isn't that amazing? That is out there. Don't you think God could stop that in a heartbeat if He wanted to? Sure He would. But then we wouldn't have any trials and tests. You know? And He's trying and testing us, proving us to see how we're going to fare with what He's given us. I mean, He's done that. You can go back in the Old Testament and from the very first man and woman He put in the garden, He put a test there. He said, I've made you two for each other. And I put you in the garden and I put fruit trees all over the place and they're all beautiful. And you can eat of anything in that garden you want to, but the one in the middle. And he didn't tell you, he told him. He said, you cannot eat of the tree in the middle. And he told his wife. She got it. Isn't that amazing? That God's been testing us from day one, hasn't he? Have we been passing the test? Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. When we don't, will He forgive us? If we come to Him and ask Him, that's the good part, isn't it, brother? When we mess up, He will forgive us. But He wants us to walk holy and obedience to His Word with no sin in our life. This is what He says. I mean, the Scriptures, this is hard stuff. You know, very hard stuff. It's hard to walk without sin. You know that? It's very difficult. I mean, well, maybe I should say for me it's very difficult. Yeah, I, but i got a feeling y'all are human beings too. I think you go through the same things every day that I do. You know, every day. Then he says here, Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, nor knows him. So, let's say that you, and something we see so much today. We see people, young people and older people, Living together and not married together. And in the church. And they think they're okay. Do they know God? Are they abiding in Him? No, absolutely not. They don't know Him. They have no idea who He is. They're not purifying themselves. They're walking in sin. Their eyes have been totally blinded by the God of this world. And the bad part about it is, if they die in that sin, they won't go to heaven. If they die in that sin, they will go to hell. I'll prove that to you in a little while when we get over to Galatians. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, God, is righteous. And he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God would manifest that He might destroy the works of the devil. Now then, if you're walking in righteousness, you're a child of God. If you're walking in sin, what does He call you? A child of the... Nobody wants to hear that, do they? So you got somebody that's walking in a church, that's walking in sin, you know they're walking in sin, you walk up and say, you know, you're of the devil. Well, you want to upset somebody. <laughs> you just tell them, you're of the devil. I'm not of the devil. Well, <laughs> what does Scripture say they were? <laughs> if they're living in sin? We don't want to hear that though, do we? But see, the Scripture is what you have to base everything around. Everything. It is so wonderful to walk 
in grace. Walking in grace, there is no law. But you've got to walk in God's kind of love to walk there. And sometimes we do that. That's why I think I heard a, a gentleman uh, that was... Okay, that'll wake you up, won't it? That'll wake you up, praise the King. Now, that's the first time that Mike has done that in a long time, but it did that tonight. Yeah, it's been a long time since it's done that, but it did it tonight. Uh, okay, Lord, there was some of them about half asleep out there, but we got their attention, or you did. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, if you were half asleep, I mean, that definitely got your attention. You jumped. <laughs> oh, that's just like tonight. I was sitting here praying for a woman, and somebody dropped a box off of the counter over there and then a box of that water and hit the floor. Bam! And this woman, I was holding her hands, and then she liked to jerk me over backwards. And she says, what was that? I said, well, man, just, just a box or something. Somebody dropped one ahead and prayed for her and finished. And when I got through praying for her, she said, how can you be so solid? I said, ma'am, I don't walk in fear. I walk in faith. You know, and I said, I, it, if, if there's a nuclear bomb went off downtown Dallas, I might be the only one left standing here, but I'd be left standing here after it cleared because I don't walk in fear. I said, the God I serve is well able and He will protect me from that fire. See? And that's where my faith is in Him. You know, so I don't walk in that. She said, well, I can't do that. I said, well, that's your first problem. Your confession is wrong. You're saying, I can't do that. And you've got to start saying, I can do that. Because Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, a few things are possible with you. Oh, oh that's not what He said. Oh, you read the book. See, now, see, now that's where you get in trouble. When you read the book, you believe what the book says instead of what the preacher says. See, but how many people read the book? A lot of them listen to what a preacher says and take it as the gospel. And they don't read their Bible to go along with him. You know, hey, when you're reading this book, I don't care what church you're in, what preacher preaches, and he's in this book, you need to be in there with him. You need to be seeing if your Bible says the same thing he's saying because... Sometimes preachers teach things that are not written in God's Word. They preach what they think, or they preach traditions, and traditions make the Word of God to no effect. So, it says here, He that, commit, he that commit a sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. Whosoever, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Wonder what the church would really think about that. If I really if we really confront the church with that. I mean he's saying this over and over here, isn't he? Now you want to know why there's no power in the church today? Why do you think there is no power in the church? Why do you think very few prayers ever get through? When he says if we're born of God, we're not supposed to commit any kind of sin. We're supposed to be purifying ourselves, supposed to be walking totally holy before God. And if we do that and if we're abiding in Him, then He makes a statement in, first, in John 15, 7. In John 15, 7, He says, if. Now, that's a big word, isn't it? John 15, 7. If my words abide in you, and if you abide in me, then you can come and ask me anything you want to, and I will do it for you. Now, is that an awesome promise? Amen. But see, it's got requirements. 
If you abide in me. Here's the, if you abide in me, you purify yourself from all sin. So, I don't know about you, but don't you love getting prayers answered? Ooh, I love seeing the Lord answer prayer. And in fact, I got to tell this story about Joseph and his precious wife. Uh, here, he told me here a while back a story that was so awesome. He said that he was working with Mr. Rescue at a time, and he had to go out on the road to put some gas, take some gas out for a lady, and his wife went with him in the van. And said when they got there, there was another van already parked there, so they parked behind this one on the left-hand shoulder, you know, because that's where the person had pulled off. So he said, I get up in front of that other van, I'm putting gas in the car. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice that said, get out from between the cars. Now, who do you think might have been speaking to him at this very instant? Oh, it wasn't the devil. That's for sure, Joseph. It was not the devil. And at the same time, his lovely bride sitting back there in the seat on the right-hand side of their van, hears also a same voice that says, get out of the van. And so, she hears this voice. He hears this voice. He's way up front. She's back there in the van. He steps out from between them and gets out toward the median. And she gets out of the van and goes out there and stands there for a minute. And then she thinks, what am I doing out here? See, she's beginning to rationalize this voice. So she goes back over and opens the van door on the, on the driver's side and gets in. And the voice says, if you're going to get in, at least don't get back on the passenger side. She said, this got her attention. She's running this thought through her mind. And about that time, a drunk driving 85 miles an hour hits that van right in the rear end and a toolbox in the back goes right over the seat where her head would have been, goes all the way through the windshield into the van in front of her, but it still breaks her neck. Breaks her neck. Now see, if she had obeyed and stayed out there like the Lord told her instead of disobeying, but Joseph obeyed and got out there between them and so he sustained zero damage. But out of the mercy of God, they begin to pray for her, tuck her to the hospital with a broken neck, and by the next morning, God had completely healed her broken neck, and she got to go home without any damage. But she had a confirmed broken back, broken neck. Now, is God merciful even when we disobey? Aren't we glad the king talks to us, and if we disobey, he still is merciful. See? But now just think. And this is what I'm trying to get through to us. Learn to hear these voices. And when these voices tell you to do something, don't ask any questions. Just do what he says. You know, don't start trying to rationalize. Well, God, why should I get out of this van? If he says get out of this van, you say, okay, Lord, I'm gone. I'm out of here. I'm going out in the middle of the median. And I'm just going to sit out here and I'm just going to wait. And if nothing happens, that's okay too. But if I heard that voice, and especially if I look up there and my husband's standing up there and he sat down in the middle, and I think, hmm, got to be something going on here. He's, well, he's supposed to be putting gas in that car. And he's out there in the median. And I'm out here in the median. Why are we out here in the median? You know, but at least stay out there. You know, don't do something else. But when we try to rationalize away these voices that we hear, I mean, you suffered some tremendous things that night that you wouldn't have had to suffered. And you know that. And she knows that. But here, we use these examples of stories like this to try to get you to hear these voices Understanding that God is trying His best to communicate with us and get us to do something, and He's interested in your safety as a child of God. 
Now, he knew the devil was sending that drunk down that road at 85 miles an hour. That didn't catch God by surprise. He knew that guy was drunk. And he knew he was driving on the wrong side of the road, way off after in the, on the shoulder at 85 miles an hour. And he didn't want his two children hurt. So he told them what to do. And how many times has he told all of us those kind of things and the thoughts come to our mind and we rationalize it away and then go do something and something bad happens to us and we never put it together. Never even put the two together. That's where we live in the church today. Instead of thinking that God is on our side. He wants to protect us. He wants us to stay away from sin. Just like he's saying right here in the Word. The average person will read 1 John 3 and they'll go home, if, if you were at a normal church, and you go home tonight and you think, you know, there ain't no way I can purify myself. You know, Now, if you, if you think like that, your whole life has been defeated what you've heard tonight from God's Word. If you think, I'm a true daughter or son of God. I am supposed to live totally, completely pure and holy in the presence of the Lord. Oh, that means tomorrow, them dirty jokes I heard yesterday, I can't tell them to somebody tomorrow. That means that when I use those foul words when somebody does something I don't like, that means I've got to stop that nonsense. I've got to purify myself from all evil. I've got to watch every word that comes out of this thing now. i even got to watch the thoughts. No, it don't mean you won't make mistakes. But you've got to really start working on it, don't we? When we don't even try, what happens? Fear and trembling. That's absolutely right. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Then he says, he goes on and says, Whosoever is born of God does not sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. If you're a true child of God and the seed of God is in you and you're abiding in Him, He says as long as you're abiding in Him, you cannot sin. So, guess what happens when we sin? We step out of abiding for a few minutes and we abide in the enemy for a little while. And when you listen to His voice, what does He always do to you? He causes you to sin. Why do you think the devil draws you off and causes you to sin. Because He wants to get legal right to you. He loves making you sick and afflicting you and tormenting you and your children. He loves it. But that's what God sent Him to do. And He's very good at what He does. I will have to say, He's very good at what He does. Most of us are a pushover. Absolutely a pushover. I was for 40 years of my life. But I finally got a hold of it. And I'm not a pushover anymore. You know, I still mess up every once in a while, but I'm sure don't mess up as much as I used to. I will have to say that. Ty's shaking his head over there. He knows it hadn't been long ago when he messed up every day, all day, just like I did. And then we got a hold of it, didn't we, Ty? Praise the King. Glory to God. Are we glad He's merciful and gracious? Because if He wasn't, I know two guys sitting up here on the front row, me and Ty, that wouldn't be here tonight. <laughs> There's another one right there. We all know that, don't we? We are grateful to the King that He is this merciful and mighty God that He is. And He says, in this, in the next verse, verse 10, 
In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil are manifest. Whosoever doth righteousness is of God. Whoever doth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, if we're sons of God, we're supposed to love one another, aren't we? Now then, there's a little little bit of right here I want to go to in Galatians. I want to go to this next. Galatians. You know, that, that every time I read that over in James, where it says that I'm a, a sinner, if I show favoritism, I think, wow. How many times do we do those kind of things in our lives and show favoritism in, in one thing or another? And how many people do you know show favoritism between their children? They're guilty of transgressing the law. You're not supposed to show favoritism between your children. You're supposed to love your children all the same. That's why God says in His Word, I'm no respecter of persons. I love all of you the same. Because if He wasn't, He'd be a sinner. So, he's not going to go there. You know, Galatians chapter 5. But, it, when, like I said, like Joseph just said a while ago, we work out our salvation in fear and trembling when you learn these principles, don't you? Absolutely. It will change everything you do. Now then, uh, oh, I didn't bring in my other Bible. I was going to read this out of the King James. Oh, you got a King James? Well, that's okay. That's okay. Is yours a King James? Okay. Okay. Anyway, let me just go ahead. Uh, let's see. I had all those marks, but okay. In, the, in my King James, but then I left it in the car. Uh, yeah. Sixteen, seventeen. This is... Uh, the, the one thing I don't like about the NLT is they got the verses all one right after the other and the numbers are all over the place. And it's kind of hard to, to find all... Let me see yours, yeah. Let me see Cheryl's. I'll just use hers. Oh, yeah. Okay, Galatians 5. Okay, okay, here we go. Uh, verse 16. Verse 16, he says, This I say, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not... Fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the spirit, listen to that. But if you're led of the spirit, you are not under the law. If you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now then, technically speaking, all of us that are sons and daughters of God are supposed to be led by the Spirit. But that's not true. I mean, we're supposed to be. But we are not led by the Spirit. I mean, I've seen Christians, and I've been one of them, that have been guilty of doing some pretty rotten things. And you know what? When I did those rotten things, I wasn't led by the Spirit. 
Have any of y'all ever done anything like that? No, no, I won't ask that question, Lord. Forgive me. <laughs> I don't want anybody to lie because we'd be in bigger trouble. <laughs> but if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Isn't that amazing? That if you're led by the Spirit, you and I are definitely not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are these. Adultery. Fornication. He's talking to the church. Adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, which is all kinds of wickedness. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, reveling, and such like, of which I tell you, as I have told you before, those that do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're a Christian and you're living in any of those things, what if you die and you're a drunkard and you go to church every Sunday but you get drunk every week? What's going to happen when you die? You going to heaven? There's a gentleman right there who believes this. He pointed down. I believe that's true because of what this says. Then he says, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if we're walking led by the Spirit, if we're led by the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is what? You know what the problem is in the church? We don't know what love means. Oh, I just love that apple pie. Oh, I just love that ice cream. That's not what he's talking about. I told you two different kinds of love. Oh, I just love my wife. I still know what he's talking about. He's talking about the God kind of love, which you find in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. That's the kind of love he's talking about. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, patience, faith, Meekness, temperance, and against such things there is no law. So see, you're not under the law when you're walking in God's kind of love, are you? So, true, the law was banished as long as you walk in the God kind of love. You're under grace. Can you fall from grace? I ask that question over and over and over, and I've never could get it, and I finally read it one day in chapter 5, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made me free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In Galatians 5, verse 1. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, and if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to everyone that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. In other words, if you went out to be circumcised because the law says you've got to be circumcised, if you did it to fulfill the law, then he said you're a debtor to do the whole law. And he says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whatsoever you that 
you have you are fallen from grace. So what does that mean? You're fallen from grace. Oh, okay. You have just failed from grace. In other words, if you do anything to add to your salvation other than believe in Jesus by faith, if you add to that anything, what have you just done? You're guilty of sin. You have failed from grace. I receive Jesus by faith. What else can I do? That's all the Word says we can do, right? You, to be saved, you have to receive Jesus by faith in the promises of God. Now then, I'm going to teach you as a pastor of a church that if you don't go out and, if you don't go out and do something good for Jesus every day, I'm going to put you under bondage. If you don't go out and do something good for Him every day, you cannot go to heaven. You've got to add to faith in Jesus. You've got to go out and work for your salvation. If you don't work every day, Joseph, you missed one day of working for Jesus, you're going to hell. I put you under bondage, didn't I? It's good Jehovah's Witness, okay. <laughs> but people do that all the time, don't they? They add to faith in Jesus by love. That's all you've got to do to be saved. Now then, should we want to go out every day and talk to somebody about Jesus? But it shouldn't be because of bondage, should it? It shouldn't be because the love of God's in our heart. We just want to share it with other people. Now, when we do it in love, that's the way we do it. We're not under no bondage. I get up this morning. If I want to eat breakfast this morning at 6 o'clock, or if I don't want to eat till 3 o'clock this afternoon, I am under no kind of bondage. I can eat any time I want to. I'm not one of those kind of guys that when I get up at 6, I've got to have breakfast. I've got to have noon, 12 o'clock, and I've got to have a meal at 6 o'clock and a snack at 9.30 before I go to bed. If I don't, man, I didn't do something right today. No, no, you don't. if you go with me, you're going to find out I'm not under any kind of bondage. I'll eat when I'm hungry. I'll sleep when I'm sleepy. I'll go to bed when I want to. I get up when I want to. I am under no kind of bondage. I'm free in Christ. I am. Now, back in the days when I was working for a living, I was under a little bondage because they wanted me there about 7 o'clock every morning. You know, and if I come in 7.30 or 8 o'clock, they didn't understand that because of my freedom. <laughs> I was under a little bit of bondage. Y'all know where I'm coming from? But I might not be out there working for them at 3 o'clock in the morning either. You know, but if I want to work for Jesus, if I'm still out studying the Word and I'm working in my office or studying, get ready to uh, teach something or make a radio show or a television show, and I'm still there 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm not in the under bondage. And if I look up, like Dave come in my office this morning, tapped on the door, I think it's about 2.30. He said, good night, Pastor, I'm going to bed. I looked up the clock and I said, well, okay, it's about time for most decent people to be in bed. <laughs> but I still didn't go to bed for another half hour or hour. I think Cheryl told me a while ago when I said about, she said it was 4 when we lay down this morning. Well, we're not under any bondage. You know, we can sleep because we, you know, I slept till uh, 9.30, 10 o'clock, you know, and then I got up and went and done some things and just had a good time today. I'm not under no bondage. I made telephone calls and talked to all kinds of people, and I am not under bondage. I have liberty in Christ. Freedom. 
But to make that liberty work for you and me, we've got to walk into God's kind of life. Because in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Our faith works through love. Now, if you don't have love, you might as well give up the faith walk because it ain't going to work. But if you train yourself to walk into God's kind of love, then your faith will work. And when you speak in the name of your King, Jesus, He will show up to do great and mighty things for you. And I love seeing Him do those things. Wow. Praise the Lord. Well, it's 9 o'clock. We've already been. Is your question, Joseph? I think I'm on there. We got the mic Hello? turned down? Uh, just one second. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, I, I, I had the same thing happen to me last night. I, uh, I was studying the scripture up until about 4.30 this morning and got to sleep about 5. But when I went to bed, when I, when I finally got in bed, I knew Lori was leaving early this morning around uh, 7, 30, 8 o'clock. So I asked the Lord to wake me up so I could say, pray for her, say goodbye when she left. And he did. Woke me up at 7 o'clock. Amen. And I've been wide awake all day. Amen. Praise the Lord. Like two hours sleep, you know, and, it, and that just don't happen to me. Yeah. Ordinarily. <laughs> I've learned that Jesus is the best alarm clock you can have. You know, you can ask him to wake you up at a certain time, and he will do it. You know, especially if you tell him, Lord, and you don't have to do this, though. He's not, he's not going to put you on that bondage. But if you say, Lord, if you're waking me up, I'll get up and study the Word in the morning. But you know, if you're not going to get up and study the Word, don't tell him that. You know, if you say, Lord, I need to be waking up so I tell my wife goodbye, he'll do that too. He'll, he loves you enough. He cares about everything you and I do. And when you get a hold of that and the love of God and how much he does love us, we will want to purify ourselves from all evil. And we'll want to walk holy in obedience to his word. So he will have the freedom to answer our prayers when we pray. I love to see God answer prayer. Don't you? And you don't do it for a sinner. You know, so you got to walk holy. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. And, sir, before I pray the prayer, you just dropped something right there on the floor. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you for this evening. I thank you for the privilege to be your sons and daughters here. And I ask you to, Lord, really speak to us this week out of this word that we will purify ourselves from all evil and we will walk holy in obedience to your word so we'll not hinder the Spirit of God as he works through us this week. And we praise you and thank you for your mighty word. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen.